Hello and welcome to Food Systems, a podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture, where we discuss ideas that can shape a sustainable food system, from farm to fork, from policy to consumers, and everything in between. I'm your host, Robert Graff, and you can find us on Twitter at Forum for Ag. These episodes will be available every other week on all major podcast platforms. Before we get started, we would like to say a quick thank you to the Forum Founding Partners, the European Landowners Organization and Syngenta, as well as the Forum Strategic Partners, Cargill, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the Nature Conservancy, Thought for Food and the World Wildlife Fund. Please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back in this new year. Happy 2022. You're listening to another episode of Food Systems. Uh, Today we're bringing you two guests as a special uh, and we're going to be talking about regenerative agriculture and the digital technology that may or may not make it possible. Um, My guests today are David Wilkinson. He's the Vice President for Agricultural Procurement for PepsiCo Europe. And my other guest is Galina Petjeve-Miteva. She's a farmer and land manager in Bulgaria. David and Galina, thank you so much for joining Food Systems today. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Because we're talking about regenerative agriculture, and this is a topic we've discussed on the podcast before, we know that there's some significant divergence in what it means to people. So I was wondering if you both could give your definition of what regenerative agriculture means. And Galina, I'll give you the first word. Thank you, Robert. Broadly speaking, regenerative agriculture to me is a holistic conservation and rehabilitation approach to food and farming systems. On my farm uh, in particular, it is the combination of minimum tillage, the use of uh, various cover crops targeted towards different uh, goals, very wide crop rotation of up to seven different crops, and the significant uh, reduction of fertilizer and its substitution by the use of nitrogen and phosphorus-fixing bacteria. This combination on my farm has turned us into a successful nature-positive business. We are profitable, we are sustainable, and we do way more than is required. However, I want to be honest with all of you and to admit that this didn't happen overnight. It took almost 10 years of trial and error, and gradually we found out what works for us and what doesn't. So the trial and error approach obviously is costly, it's time-consuming, and we made very uh, many uh, unnecessary steps and wrong terms along the way. I, I think firstly, there are a lot of definitions, but um, you know, it's good to know that um, I think my view is very similar to Galina's. So you know, for us, it's all around the adoption of farming principles and practices that really seek to improve the farm and the field ecosystem. So, so as Galina said, very much a, a holistic view. Um, and we want to measure benefits in things like soil health, water quality, watershed health, biodiversity and actually the amount of carbon that we are sequestering. So quite quite similar. And I think the exciting thing for me when we talk about um, 
Regen Ag. And, you know, Regen Ag is at the heart of, of the Pepsi Global Goals, where we're seeking to um, increase regenerative practices and introduce them across 7 million acres globally. It's, it's actually thinking about the system benefits. So it's no longer the March to September impact of what is going on on that specific crop, but it's thinking a little bit more around, okay, what is the crop rotation? What's the previous crop? How am I preparing for my potato crop or preparing for my corn crop to follow? And really that systemic approach is really exciting and quite a lot different from perhaps what we were or how we were looking at it four or five years ago, where it was really much more crop specific. It's interesting that you mentioned that because this is one of the charges that some of its critics have and some of the confusion that I personally have around this as well is things like uh, things that you mentioned, that Galina mentioned, like crop rotation, switching fertilizers, minimum tillage, all that stuff. All those things were recommendations, for example, in the last common agricultural policy as well. So how are these things then fundamentally different from things that have been relatively standard, either mandatory in Europe or or strongly recommended? I I think for me, a lot of the basic practices um, are exactly as you say. You know, know, there's, there's long been good agronomy ways of growing all of our crops. And I think the regenerative ag um, if you like, spin on it is is really sort of quantifying the systemic effects and actually looking to start to measure the the improvement of these metrics. So it's not just about using less fertilizer or using less synthetic chemicals, but let's measure what we're using less of and let's understand the impact and look at metrics that are are, are on the farm so we can really quantify our impacts, not just satisfy ourselves with following better practices, but quantifying exactly how they how they impact the, the, the system further along. Also, I think regenerative farming demands regionally specific knowledge that is grounded in the particular crops grown within local climates and soils, and it takes trial and error, some experience uh, to find out exactly what works, in what combination it works, how to uh, combine the different components in order to get a positive uh, uh, outcome uh, for the farmer because it's also important for, for a farmer to be sustainable and profitable, otherwise the business can not go on. So finding this balance is um, maybe it's difficult to, to measure it and to give a checklist, but trying it on your farm, seeing how it works, how it uh, develops, what the outcome is, and talking to other farmers is the way to to find what regenerative practices work for your particular soils and crops. So I, I would like I would like to build on what Galina says because you know I'm 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 very fortunate. My team are very fortunate to work direct with farmers, and and I think it's absolutely right. These are not a, a set of practices that are generic and work across the whole range of spectrum of farms and farm sizes and crops and all the rest of it. These are neat, you know the the specificity around the uniqueness of every farm and every farmer's livelihood is really important, and I think. You know, the, the concept of working with farmers to find the magic and the secret sauce that really works for, 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 for that farmer's business and for the markets that that farmer is able to serve. Um, and and it's, it's like another layer of, of this system thinking, if you like. 
I think this is I think this is really important, and it's not sort of you know whilst practices may well be prescribed or known as good practices, but there might be 20 or 30 of these good practices. You can't do all 20 or 30 on every farm. And some of them have bigger impacts on one farm than another farm. It's really working which are the, 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 the right practices for the right crops, for the right environment, and, and working with the farmers to, to, you know, to make sure that we're, we're, we're making the best positive impact. Broadly speaking, are farmers ready to engage with this level of IT management and administration? And Galina, I'm first going to uh, turn to you. I don't think we can uh, quantify regenerative ag by counting worms, for example. Uh, the way to make farmers ready is to establish peer-to-peer groups and to show the community. For example, for me, the most important uh, and um, substantial way to see a practice is to see it uh, on my neighbor's farm or a friend's farm, to go and um, see for myself how the crops are looking, what are the outcomes. And establishing a peer-to-peer network will be very important too according to me, uh, for the propagation that this is not only good for the environment, it's also a very good business practice because sustainable farming does not mean economically inefficient farming. On the contrary, when you find what works for your farm, it is excellent because it's a win-win situation. But I think farmers need to see it to be convinced that this can work, that this is not work of uh, people in Brussels who have not been on a field in the recent uh, few months, but um, the work of farmers who are actually looking a way to uh, pres- for a way to preserve soil health and uh, soil fertility, because that's the ultimate goal of regenerative agriculture, to produce without uh, depleting our soil and our earth, because this is this is the resource that feeds us. I would make a, a couple of remarks on this. So, you know, today, are, are farmers ready to be the next data scientists? Possibly not. But, you know, my experience of working with farmers over over 10 years now, and, and one of the things that I think, you know, companies and, and hopefully these type of, of, of podcasts can, can um, incentivize is, is actually to give inspiration and start to make sense of what is a very, very complicated topic. You can encourage people to start to step into the, into the area. And it's not about blinding people with analytics and thousands of data points and algorithms. That might come in five years, but it's actually just to show some very basic steps, some very basic improvements. And then very quickly, my experience is farmers catch on incredibly quickly with technology. They all have smartphones, they all have computers, they all know exactly what they're doing. And it, it, it's sort of facilitating them to start to see the benefit of data, the benefit of capturing data, the, the benefit of, of quantifiable evidence that it shows that what they're doing is working for their, for their farm. And I love the point that Galena made as well. It is around how do we facilitate more of that experience sharing because it's not about multinational companies telling farmers what to do or people in brussels setting out new farming regulations farmers in my experience learn best from seeing 
practices and stories and understanding what's gone on in other farms. And one of the things that we've done in PepsiCo, for example, is is last season we piloted a Facebook group where we, we were encouraging farmers to post some of the activities that they were doing, some of the cover crops, how they were incorporating cover crops before they were planting the potatoes to minimize soil disturbance. And it creates an energy and ideas in other farmers that they can say, gosh, I can do that. And you you pass along the good practice. So I, I, I think, you know, farm to farm communication is, is, is just absolutely critical. And it's a, it's, it's a really cool way of getting the message out there and really catalyzing the activity. However, PepsiCo has announced new global sustainability goals, and those are very metric. They, they have specific carbon goals. They have specific other targets on sustainability. And those do need to be measured and, and verified somehow. And, and I want to turn to Cleaner again first. Do you think, maybe not you, but the average farmer in, in your region, do they have the, the tools and the skills to enhance their farm and, and provide not thousands of data points, but 20 or 30 uh, through digitalization. Do, do you think that that's present if you look around you? You will not likely like my answer, but uh, the average uh, farmer in rural Bulgaria is over 50 years old and does not have the skill set for a very advanced digitalization. On top of that, uh, we farmers are simply drowning under the increasing burden of farm administration and compliance, which combined with um, uh, more and more uh, frequent and extreme climate um, anomalies and a lack of a lack of predictability of even basic tools like the CAP leaves very little room for um, digitalization and innovation. Nevertheless, we see that this is the future and people are trying to catch up people are buying into smart technology. I think it's a very important question. Uh, who owns the data? Who protects the data? Because, for example, like I said, it took me 10 years to get where I am. And uh, we made many mistakes. For example, we invited a scientist from Brazil to, to talk about cover crops and everything was fine. We were very excited. It was a group of Bulgarian farmers. And then the cover crops that are good for Brazil are a disaster in Bulgaria. And you have to wait another year to try something different. And this is very costly. So for farmers, it will be very important not only to quantify their results, but to protect their privacy and the security of their data. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think I think data and digitalization um, will play an, an absolutely critical part in understanding the activities that are being performed to support crop production but also to start to use you know to capture the primary data against which you know um, accredited um, models such as the cool farm tool and carbon sequestration models can be run to say this is the benefit or this is the impact of doing these practices and I, I think Alina is right. Um, it's 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 a learning curve, um, and we you know we we've got half of my team are are trained agronomists, and they're in the fields with the farmers every day, and and it's a little bit around you know, and we have an app based system that captures some very basic crop data associated with, for instance, for our with our potato crops, and we start off with you know the PepsiCo agronomist in the field with the farmer 
capturing some data, showing how how, how it can be captured, what when was the crop planted, did it have a cover crop, all of these type of things. And then we show the farmer how they can get their data back and compare their data versus previous years. But what we also do is, pure, you know, on a on a very anonymous way, we actually look at over four, every year we have 4,000 fields of potato data on our system. So we look at similar fields based on the similar climatic effects, the similar varieties, um, similar planting and, and, and growing seasons and say, okay, what are the, of these 20 or 30 or 40 things, what are the good practices that, that defined better quality crops or higher yielding crops? And what are the practices that perhaps dragged down the performance of the crops? And you share that with the farmers in a very open and a transparent way, because there has to be um, a two-way relationship here. You know, you can't just be capturing data for, you know, one person to win and another person to lose. This has to be uh, a collaborative and a win-win approach. And when you're showing farmers ideas, then you start to create that momentum where they start to say, okay, I understand how to do this. I understand the benefit of doing this. I, I then take a further step into to the journey of digitalization. So you mentioned that there have some, been some positive uh, and negative lessons already learned. I was wondering if you could share some with our listeners. Are, are there any things that you said, okay, when we crunch some of the big data numbers, this is some of the things we saw and that worked or that didn't work. I was wondering if you have any sort of basic uh, outcomes that you could share with uh, with our listeners. Yes, so we 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 certainly have st- you know so this is all quite new. So we've only got a couple of seasons of, of of experience in this, but we've started to see different performance with different weather cycles, depending on how you know what was the previous crop. We've seen um, you know we've seen different um, results based on how people have admi- administered their fertilizers and how much fertilizers they've applied hasn't necessarily corresponded to higher yields despite very similar planting and harvesting dates so you know i think fertilizers application of 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 chemicals that type of um, analytics or, or insights that we've been able to play back has shown some of the opportunities but what we've also been able to do is some of the in season decision making tools which i think is really important so it's not just about looking with hindsight as to how you work with your following year's crop. Um, you know, we've, you know, because a farm has said, okay, this is where I'm growing my potatoes this year, we've been looking at weather data, we've been looking at um, bargaining in university, and we've, we've incorporated their blight tool and blight warning tool into, this, into, our, into the iCrop platform so that the farmer gets back within the season, oh, you know, you're, you're into a high risk late blight um, period you need to do you know you need to apply your chemicals now so these are some of the examples of how we've used this data to their advantage kelly and i want to turn back to you and maybe sort of in a more more practical mode again in in your region are is, is sort of the underlying base there is a broadband internet broadly uh, uh, distributed well enough are the subsidy mechanisms in place for farmers to say okay i want to do this i'm interested in this you know, do they have the practical means necessary to start to start on this journey, or is that still something that needs to be worked out? Uh, it still needs to be worked out uh, to the extent that if you want to do this, you have to invest your own funds and to to do your own research. 
what I find very interesting is um, the idea, ideas and approach that David shared, where um, you form a community and you share data and you share uh, positive outcomes and negative outcomes. That would um, that would encourage farmers very much to make use of technology because they will see it as a practical tour tool to do better. Uh, but in terms of digitalization, right now there is not much support. Everything we do, we do on our own means, and it's completely voluntary. It's not supported in any way. And uh, as one of the newest members of the EU. Bulgaria is far less advanced in broadband um, distribution than the older European Union member states. So in a lot of rural areas, there is no access at all. Is this digital transformation and, and regenerative agriculture, is it is it inclusive? Or will we find out that some farmers and some actors in the food chain will be left out for, for reasons of cost, Galina, for example, or, or otherwise. And I'll start with you. I worry that uh, a lot of the farmers are older and uh, they have uh, trouble getting used to technology per se. And the more uh, advanced it gets, uh, the more difficult it is for them to cope. So I definitely think it's a, it's a trend that will be picked up by the newer generation of farmers. Uh, the other generation understands it, but cannot work with the technology. So they rely on younger agronomists or on their children to help them transition into a more digital agriculture. We all see the benefits uh, of, of being more technological. It's a point of um, also economic point, whether you can afford to invest in the technology and to reap the benefits of it uh, within the future. And um, I think also it's a matter of how we prepare our succession because farmers uh, are aging. Uh, and it's probably the most <laughs> aging group um, in professional society. And we have to think how to motivate the new farmers, the new generation, the new uh, agronomists to, to be more uh, pro-digital and pro-technology. Pro I, th I think um, I think we will fail if if, if regen ag and digitalization for farmers if that ultimately ends up being not inclusive then we will have we will have failed and I I, I truly think it it can be an inclusive um, transition um, but for me it's not around it's not just around age there there are a lot of factors that can be uh, barriers that need to be addressed um you know as i said it's not just about age but we need to think about uh, small farmers that might be renting short-term land rental not not a big farmer that has got a thousand hectares that they can do that you know they can see all of their rotations and it's all into their own control it's how do we bring you know tenant farmers in on short rotations so that they get the benefits of doing the right thing for a field that might go on to the next farmer so I think for me, you know, when you talk about inclusivity, it's, 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 it's around how do we make it work for small scale farmers, farmers on short term rotations, such that we can piece together 
all of the field history and all of the field rotations so that at across this virtual system, we know we're doing the right thing for that field. So if you're looking at the field of regenerative agriculture, which has a broad set of practices, which one of them do you think for most farmers, that's the easiest one? That's where they can get started. That's the lower cost one. Uh, Minimum tillage and the use of cover crops. This combination can be applied to virtually any farm. It's a matter of how much and what crops, but anyone can do it and anyone can see the benefit. So I think this is the most accessible and also because of the propagation of different uh, drills that are for direct drilling. Most farmers are very familiar and very comfortable with this, with this entry level regenerative agriculture. I think for me, uh, cover crops, minimum till, full, fully agree. Um, minimum till and, and is quite complicated for potatoes, which is obviously my favorite crop. Um, but, but, but it needs to be viewed in a, in a continuum. You know, it's, it, it, it's instead of having five disturbance practices being applied, you know, plowing, destoning, or, you know, can we just do two or, or, or one? So fully agree on cover crops, um, reducing till, minimum till. Um, I think the third one for me is when we think about uh, low carbon farming is, is the amount of, you know, the high proportion of the greenhouse gas footprint associated with fertilizers, fertilizer production, field-based emissions. So how do we transition to better fertilizers, more organic fertilizers applied in smarter ways, only applying the right amount of fertilizer that you need at the right time. I think this would be the third element that I think you know gets me quite excited. Okay, so we're coming up to the end of the podcast and I wanna ask you both the same question which we ask of everybody who comes on, which is if you had one piece of advice or one policy suggestion for a much more sustainable food system, what would it be? I think maybe um, maybe it touches on you know, my low carbon farming um, comment in the in the previous question. I think it would be great for a coherent approach that really appeals to all types of farmers, all sizes, ages, own farm, tenanted farm. That really incentivizes food to be produced in the right way and our crops to be grown in the right way, but also fundamentally respects that we need to grow food. So it's not about um, sequestration schemes that mean that we're going to be growing, you know, having permanent pasture and a few sheep and not enough food to, to, to feed the population. So getting that system right, I think, would be the one thing I'd, I'd, I'd end up on. I absolutely uh, support David's view. And I would add that decision makers in Brussels should consider establishing regenerative farming as a legitimate path towards a sustainable agricultural future and support farmers in the transition towards uh, a more sustainable agricultural future. Galina Pecheva-Miteva, farmer and land manager, and David Wilkinson, Vice President for Agricultural Procurement for PepsiCo Europe. Thank you both very much for joining Food Systems today in the new year. It was a pleasure. It's great to be on. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to an episode of Food Systems, a podcast brought to you by the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. Look for us in two weeks when we release our next episode. And in the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app, as well as on Twitter at Forum for Ag, for updates on this podcast, news, as well as forum events. Please check out our website, www.forumforagriculture.com, for more great content. 
Thank you for listening and enjoy your day.